Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the sixth installment in our Terminator movie review series. Today we are reviewing Terminator Dark Fate. This is your co-host, Corbin. I'm Alan. In this review, we'll be talking about what went into making the film, how it fared when it released, our thoughts on the film, and where the franchise goes from here. If you want to skip around to certain sections in the podcast, then use the timestamps in the description below. And of course, knowing us, there may be some bloopers at the end. Terminator Dark Fate was released October 23rd, 2019, which is very interesting considering the first film was released October 26, 1984, 35 years ago. Yeah, it has been a long time for this franchise. And as we have noted, it's also it also likes to take its time when getting from sequel to sequel. Oh, because yes. from one to two, it was 1984 to 1991. Yes. <laughs> and then from 1991 to 2003. And then from 2003 to 2009. <laughs> Anyways, you can understand, as you can see, the sequels in this mo- in this franchise uh, are rather spread out. It did take four years from Terminator Genesis to Dark Fate, which surprisingly is actually the shortest gap in between uh, films in this franchise. The longest still holds supreme between T2 and T3 with a whopping 12 years. Just crazy. That's very uh, highly unusual. Oh, yeah. But nevertheless, I think it's telling that this film released in October because the first Terminator film was in many ways a horror slasher type film. And we talked about that more in detail in that podcast. So if you haven't listened to our previous Terminator reviews, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to those because these reviews definitely build off each other as far as our thoughts go. Yes. Now, this film is not directed by James Cameron, although this does mark the first time James Cameron has come back since Terminator 2 in 1991 to give any sort of creative input. So he is here with storytelling credits and a producing credit. From what I understand, he was very much involved in the creation of this film. Yeah, it is surprising because we've noted since, uh, yeah, T2... With T3, Salvation, and eventually Genesis, he, he's been rather hands-off with the project. And even when he was given the opportunity to come back, he was kind of wary about doing that. It seems, even even with this one, with Dark Fate, he's kind of, he's attached to it, but more at like an arm's length attachment to it. So it, it's interesting, James Cameron has created what many consider to be one of the greatest action movies of all time with T2, and since then has kind of tried to keep away from it um, since then. It's it's interesting for him to do that. And another reason he hasn't been a part of this franchise in so long is because he was legally obligated not to be involved in any sort of capacity. 
because as we discussed with Terminator 2, a lot of legal rights battles ensued and caused certain companies to go bankrupt over the rights to these films. So yeah. Cameron ended up not having the rights after Terminator 2 and it's traded hands many times. We covered that in the other episodes. But in 2019 or somewhere around that time period, probably 2018, the rights reverted back to Cameron, meaning he right. could be involved in the creative process. Right. Now, this film is directed by Tim Miller. I don't blame you if you don't really recognize this name. He hasn't done a whole lot. Most people would probably know him from the first Deadpool film, which was highly yeah. successful. Yeah, and I think that's really all that he's done, right? I mean, in terms of directing. As far as directing goes, that's really it. He did the TV show on Netflix, Love, Death, and Robots. He wrote the Ice Age one, and he actually won the Emmy for that whole TV show. Uh, I know everybody was um, showing David Fincher as the main creator of that, but it was David Fincher and actually Tim Miller. Gotcha. And Tim Miller is actually an Oscar-nominated director. Is he really? For Best Animated Short. Oh, okay. Way back in 2004, he did an animated short called Gopher Broke. And that was probably where his main beginnings were. He's been a very interesting director. I'm curious to see where his career will go from here. Yeah, that is interesting with... uh what he has done because yeah, Deadpool was very successful, but in terms of a feature length movie up until this point, that's literally all he's done is just Deadpool for feature length movies. So being handed the reins of Terminator, which at this point we've also noted that the last few movies have had directors uh, that are not necessarily bad, but are very interesting in their previous lineup of films. I think last week, no, not last week, but with Salvation two weeks ago, McG, he's really only done up, up, up until that point when he directed Salvation a couple of movies. So it is interesting to see this, uh, I guess, common pattern here with choices on directors. Yeah, and I'm thinking it's also because they're looking for people with a big hit with audiences or maybe just a recognizable name in general because last week was Alan Taylor who his only claim to fame was Thor the Dark World and he's really did nothing before nothing since and I guess Tim Miller is the most successful director since James Cameron because Deadpool I think it did almost a billion dollars at the box office alone just crazy numbers yeah I believe you that's probably Fairly close, I would say. It did, yeah, Deadpool was very successful in the box office. Now, originally, Tim Miller was on board with directing Deadpool 2. He was in the creative process of getting that movie underway. But due to certain differences, he left the project and then he immediately came on board for this Terminator film. Right Now, as for the writers, we have some really big Hollywood heavy hitters uh, for instance, David S. Goyer wrote this film, or at least a draft of the script. Ah, uh, yeah, David S. Goyer. He's on a lot. Yeah, he is on a lot of uh, movies. Yeah, particularly Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, Dark City, Batman v Superman. Apparently, he's announced to write a new Hellraiser movie. Interesting. That surprised me. 
Justin Rhodes, on the other hand, has, I don't think he's really done much of anything, but Billy Ray, I thought Billy Ray, maybe Billy Ray Cyrus. No, not him, (laughs) but I'm thinking who's Billy Ray? Well, Billy Ray's done Flight Plan, Breach, great underrated movies. Go back and check those out. State of Play is also very underrated. The Hunger Games, Captain Phillips, Overlord. And most recently, he wrote Gemini Man and Richard Jewell. Interesting. So he's had a lot of, looks like he's had a lot of experience writing a bunch of movies. Plenty. And I'm so glad they brought on seasoned, experienced writers. Now, you'll also notice this film has three more story credits, including James Cameron and, very importantly, Josh Friedman, who was the creator of the television series. I am currently in season two as of this recording. By the time this goes live, I'll have finished the TV show. They do introduce a lot of ideas, actually, that Josh Friedman came up with the TV show. We'll talk about those later on. Okay. And I was pretty shocked to see the scores done by Junkie XL. Yeah, and we'll probably talk a little bit more about the score later on, but I noticed almost right away that the score here is something very different than what we've heard before. And yeah, Junkie XL, who has been, especially now, has gone only up in his popularity because I think the first time I heard about him would have been Mad Max Fury Road, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And since then, he's been in all kinds of stuff. Alita Battle Angel, Mortal Engines, all kinds of stuff. So yeah, big, pretty big name composer here. Now, it seems as if all the stars are perfectly aligning to create just the right Terminator film fans have been hungry for all of these years because this did get the R rating from the Motion Picture Association of America. We haven't had an R-rated Terminator film since 2003's Terminator 3 because the previous two entries went with the all audiences get all of that money in their PG-13 rating. That's right. Yeah. So in some ways, I can definitely see this being a return to form for its fans because, yeah. They, I know that we had mentioned the controversy between in Salvation with its first PG-13 rating and then again with Genesis. And speaking of Genesis, this is not a sequel to Genesis. Yes. If you listened to our review last week, we talked about where that franchise was going, well, or lack thereof, because Genesis was supposed to kick off a new trilogy once again, and due to its poor box office returns, the two sequels were scrapped. And then Cameron came on board. They said, let's start anew. Let's pull a Halloween 2018 mm-hmm. and make a sequel directly to the very original film and forget right. the mess in between. The, luckily, this series isn't nearly as a, a mess as Halloween is. With <laughs> it's multiple multiple timelines uh i think it's only like one or two but yeah they it is kind of interesting to see that they've essentially scrapped every movie uh with the exception of the first two and are just going back and playing off a direct sequel from terminator 2 it's the smarter move because those are the two most beloved films as we've discussed and the previous films left a very sour taste in many people's mouths and really soured them on the Terminator franchise. And it should be noted that they also brought Linda Hamilton back. James Cameron's 
ex-wife. Don't forget that tidbit of information. <laughs> they married after T2, and of course, they're divorced. But James mm -hmm. Cameron said, it's not going to be Terminator if we can't get Linda back and if we don't get Arnold back. And they did. They got both of them back for this film. So as of right now, it seems like we're in store for the Terminator at least the end to a trilogy we never really got. Right. And this seems to be kind of the norm nowadays where they bring back the original actors of that original movie. Because we mentioned it a second ago, Halloween 2019 did something very similar. They brought back Jamie Lee Curtis uh, once again after however many years from being in those Halloween movies. So, yeah, this seems to be something that is happening more often uh, than ever where we bring back and kind of bring back, I guess, that nostalgia of the original movie uh, with these original characters. Now, to be fair, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger has been in practically every movie in some fashion mm -hmm. since the beginning, but Linda Hamilton hasn't been in here since Terminator 2. Yeah, it's been a long time and... I won't spoil for you here how they dealt with her character in Terminator 3. That soured a lot of fans. And yeah. so by they they would have had to have ignored the previous films anyway right. to course correct. Now it's interesting because the character of Sarah Connor was in Terminator Genesis, but she was recast by a much younger, very popular modern day actress. And that's all been scrapped and they yep. as you said they go for the more nostalgic linda hamilton and she is much older in this one much more battle-worn picking up where she currently is and you're right this is a very popular thing to do right now and it, it paid off for halloween very very well so it makes sense to pick up with the characters here it makes sense to me yeah now of course one other thing should be noted James Cameron conceived this as being the start of a new trilogy. Of course, of course. This is the third time now that we have a start of a new trilogy. It's pretty wild that this is the third time. And we have yet to see if this one will actually materialize. We'll talk about whether we think that's even a possibility or not. But nevertheless, mm -hmm. that's true. And I do want to give you my quick thoughts real quick. Why? James Cameron did not come back to direct this film. And that is because he is waist deep. Maybe I should even say shoulder deep in the earth of Pandora. He is working on Avatar yeah. two, three, four and five trying to film like all of them simultaneously. It's crazy. So he's way too immersed in that. And he is definitely a director where it's one project at a time and he's yep. all in for it. So he's still been producing and giving creative input. He also did Alita Battle Angel last year, produced on that with Robert Rodriguez. Um, right. He was really wanting to see that come to fruition, but he hasn't directed that. Yeah, I, he hasn't actually directed a movie since Avatar in 2009. So yeah, he has, since then, I know he's been trying to get Avatar 2 out and it was originally released to come out uh, oh, what was it like? Like a couple years after Avatar one, and then just kept getting pushed back until finally it was supposed to come out in 2020. And then, uh, of course, Disney bought out the rights of that company. I think it was Fox, and now then they pushed that back. So it sounds like now it's actually going to come out 
he said it wouldn't that we were told it wouldn't take 10 years like the last one and now it's taken 10 years um and I well, guess we'll and see. I know that disappointed a lot of fans that Cameron yeah. I, I think a lot of people believed Cameron was going to come back and I think this was also probably his own fault because he said he was going to come back and direct these new films and right. a lot of people came to believe that and then all of a sudden you hear he's kind of directing by proxy with Tim Miller taking over the heavy lifting duties but Cameron will kind of be very much behind the scenes giving very strong input as to the direction of this new film and right. that did cause a lot of strife between the two of them on set really it did um miller came out in an interview and said he will never work with cameron again really he didn't say that in a disrespectful way he said they both respect each other professionally and they're still friends behind the scenes yeah. He just felt working in a professional capacity on a film, they differed, they differed far too greatly gotcha. okay. to have any sort of constructive working relationship together. And Cameron was like, you know what? I agreed. I had a completely different vision and we really butted heads a lot, but we're still friends. It's not like we hate each other or anything. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So the one good thing is we can now look back and see how well this film fared at the box office and with critics and audiences yes and as we've noted in the past few movies things haven't been looking so good genesis did great in the foreign markets but did not great in the domestic markets uh especially with these last three actually i think the last four since terminator 3 and onward money has not really been a thing for the terminator series yeah you're exactly right so Let's go jump into the numbers here real quick. So as Alan just noted, Genesis did very well in the foreign markets with $350 million. But domestically, it only grossed $89.7 million on a budget of $155 million, resulting in a worldwide gross of $440 million. That's just not enough of a profit to really warrant continuing the franchise right and especially coming off the heels the the budget is funny because the original terminator budget was six million dollars the sequel's budget was 102 million dollars and the third film's budget was 200 million dollars yeah so each time especially with these with two and three i know that they were considered to be like the most money that has been spent on a project a, a film at the time, yes. now, of course, has been surpassed greatly. But at the time, that was crazy amounts of money to spend on those projects. And at least for the first two films, I mean, they paid off in dividends. Just oh, crazy yeah. blockbusters in and of themselves. Oh, yeah. And that's domestic for worldwide everything. Now, the third one made back half of its budget, which is okay. But we do see the worldwide gross... Uh, steadily declining and actually jumped back up for Genesis, but mm -hmm. it drastically jumped down for this new film, Dark Fate, actually. So with a budget of $185 million, it only grossed $62 million domestically. Ooh. Yeah, that's, that's really bad. That is awful considering many films will have that as their opening weekend alone. Oh, yeah. Popular Easy. franchise films. Yeah. 
So foreign, it did a little better. It got close to $200 million. Okay. For a worldwide total of $261 million. That's not double uh, the 180. (laughs) (laughs) That's usually what you want to strive for. And that's definitely just, that's just barely above their budget. So this bombed pretty bad. It did bomb very bad with, okay, I'll give it this. It was number one opening weekend. That's good. With a box office of 29 million dollars yikes well then again it also released in october there isn't really a whole lot that releases in october well and this is the this is the thing that's very interesting because the film wasn't originally slated for october it was actually supposed to come out july 26th really and they bumped it back a couple months huh to its i would say to its detriment, but honestly, I think they were worried the Terminator franchise couldn't compete with the big boys, with the Marvel-type movies in the summer months anymore. So they are hoping to maybe recapture some of that initial success from the first Terminator film by pushing it to October. It didn't happen. So at least it scored $2 million more than Genesis. Genesis had $27 million its opening weekend. But the, at the height of uh, their fame terminator did best with only a 44 million dollar opening weekend now it's for terminator 3 yikes that's not good no so these films have never opened very well at the box office opening weekend they've always been fine um three of the six films have been number one uh at least it's back up because genesis opened at number three at the box office very bad just to mention real quick opening weekend uh what the films were this went up against joker ah okay yeah bad idea because uh (laughs) joker i believe it's like the highest grossing superhero movie or r-rated movie of all time now or something don't quote me on that but it it did like a billion dollars in and of itself yep so it was joker maleficent mistress of evil harriet and the adams family Okay, so what I'm seeing here is it the only competition it really had was Joker, because yeah. I know Adams said we didn't do very well. No, Maleficent didn't do very well. So, yeah, uh, no, nothing else did very well at all. Joker was its only competition, and Joker had been out for a while. Now this film did drop like a rock after its opening weekend. In its second ah. week, it dropped to number five. Oh. And then to 11, and then to 16, and after five weeks, it was at number 18. Yikes. And it was only in theaters for eight weeks, ending at- Really? Yeah, only two months. That's surprisingly short. Well, it ended at number 28. It wasn't making any money. That's fair. Yeah, as soon as it started to drop, it started to lose theaters as well. Gotcha. Costing them more to ship the thing out <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to keep it in theaters. Oh, yeah. They were they were going to lose money if they would have kept it in there longer. It wouldn't have been financially viable to do that. Gotcha. So what do people think of this movie? So currently on IMDb, it holds a 6.3. That's low. Ah, that's really low. But be reassured, it is... Um, Never mind. It's it's the lowest. Is it actually? <laughs> Let me look here real quick. Actually, it's tied for the lowest. That's right. It's tied with uh. It's tied with Terminator Three. Three, yeah. 
So Terminator Genesis technically holds a 6.4. So as of right now, Genesis is considered a 10th better <laughs> than this movie. I would consider that within, uh, I would consider that within the same range though. Yeah, it's interesting because Salvation's a 6.5 and Genesis is a 6.4 and then T3 and this one are 6.3s. So according to IMDb, everything after two is has relatively the same score. They don't differ hardly at all. Yes, exactly. And um, critic critically on Rotten Tomatoes, this is very interesting um, because this film is not not the worst. Okay. Okay. So critically on Rotten Tomatoes, it has actually a 70% really? approval rate. That is interesting. Yes. And an 82% audience score. What? That is weird. Yeah. Usually the audience score is pretty much the same on every scoring website that I've seen so far that we've talked about. So seeing a really high audience score on Rotten Tomatoes and a rather low one on IMDb, that's interesting. And this is way up from Genesis. Genesis had a critic score of 27 and an audience oh, yeah. score of 53. So this, yeah. according to critics and audiences on Rotten Tomatoes, is considered far better. Metascore okay. is a 54, which is in the yellow, generally mixed reviews, but right. up from Genesis is 38. Right. And of course, Cinema Score gave it a B plus, just like it's given every single Terminator film yeah. since T2. No, nothing's changed with that. <laughs> B plus, meh. <laughs> okay so terminator dark fate critically at least is within the top four of six so that would be two-thirds it's the it's the the two-thirds okay it's not bad but considering and, what we out what what else we have here it's also not great right i'm also including the tv show within that because um, the TV show actually has a 7.7 .7 on IMDb okay, and an 85% critics rating. So it's actually a very beloved uh, entry in the franchise. Okay. So, Alan, you didn't see this movie in theaters, right? I did not. In fact, I'm going to be honest with you. Let's see. This came out in August. No, October. So I would have just moved back to Chicago at this point. So I was probably too busy and <laughs> didn't realize it came out or when it left theaters. Yeah, I didn't go see it either. All I know is that my soon-to-be mother-in-law saw the trailer. She told me it looks great, looks exciting, but don't watch it because it gives away too much. So I stayed away from all trailers. I mean, I only got glimpses of like the characters and of course the iconic Linda Hamilton returning. And that's right. all I saw. I, I went into this movie completely blind, not knowing a thing, but I did go ahead and watch the teaser trailer and the theatrical trailer. Okay. Now the teaser trailer is slow. It gives away the whole movie and major plot twists and character reveals. The song is obnoxious. I hate these slow melancholy songs they throw in trailers. Now it's just indicative of a very boring modern day trailer. Mm -hmm. Honestly, the CGI looks pretty ugly. And the trailer didn't do anything for me. And that was a that was an awful teaser. Now, the theatrical trailer is mostly a repeat. The ugly music is gone. And once again, if you want to see the whole plot 
then watch the trailer. It's not a good trailer and nothing compelling in the movie there. Gotcha. I did watch a trailer. It was definitely a theatrical trailer. I forget exactly which one it was. Mm. I remember it being okay. Uh, but it was nothing that I thought was honestly too striking. In fact, it, it looked like almost every other trailer for every other movie that's bringing back its actors. And that's really all that I can really say about it there because I also was able to stay away from pretty much everything except for, of course, for the poster of it. Um, so yeah, I was able to stay away from, I don't think I, I know I didn't see a trailer for this. Uh, but yeah, outside of that, the only thing I remember seeing is the poster. And the poster does reveal all of the characters. Arnold Schwarzenegger is back. It's, it feels like it's supposed to be, a like a surprise reveal but they have it on the poster so yeah we'll talk about when he's revealed i'm still not sure when the second act ends and the third act begins we'll talk about it but so okay just judging by this trailer you saw now and you have let's say you haven't seen the movie yet would the trailer get you into the theater okay seeing it having seen the other Movies. Yes. Uh, fan. Probably not. I don't <laughs> think I would spend much time going to see it. Uh, yeah. The trailers have become increasingly worse. I've noticed. Yeah, I can probably agree with that. So I agree. I, this trailer wouldn't get me in for me to personally buy my own ticket opening weekend. I will wait till the red box comes out, which is what I did. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listeners, if you haven't seen Terminator Dark Fate and you don't want the film spoiled for you, then go ahead and click pause. Go ahead and watch the film. Come back and click play and we'll be ready to talk about it. In 1998, shortly after the events of Terminator 2, John, sort of reprised by young Edward Furlong, and Sarah Connor, reprised by Linda Hamilton, are living peacefully, albeit cautiously, in Livingston, Guatemala. Which is funny, side note real quick, I was watching it with my dad and he sees Livingston, Guatemala and he says, I've been there. (laughs) And then he sees the cantina there and he said, I remember being there. Really? It's a real place. That's crazy. Because yeah, a few years back, my dad was in Guatemala and so that was cool. He immediately had that connection. That's cool. Sarah and John are, as I said, living peacefully, albeit cautiously. That is until another T-800 is sent back and murders John right there on the spot, leaving a grieving Sarah over her dead son. 22 years later, it's 2018 and an augmented human named Grace, played by Mackenzie Davis, is sent back to Mexico City to protect Danny Ramos, played by Natalia Reyes, against the Rev-9, Gabriel, played by Gabriel Luna, who was also sent back from the year 2042. While escaping the new Terminator in a high-speed car chase, none other than an aged Sarah Connor appears to wipe out the Terminator. Unfortunately, Grace and Danny steal Sarah's ride so she can't finish off the machine. Sarah catches up with the ladies, one of which Grace is crashing and needs medicine. Once they get Grace back on her feet, Sarah explains that over the years she has been receiving anonymous text messages that tell her the date, time, and coordinates of where a Terminator will appear. The messages have been mysteriously signed for John. This is how she knew to find the ladies on the bridge. 
Surprisingly, Grace has tattooed on her abdomen the same coordinates as those where the texts originated. Grace also reveals there is no Skynet in the future, but rather a different evil AI called Legion. The trio decide to embark across the border to Laredo, Texas. While being smuggled across by Danny's uncle, the Rev-9 has been hot on their trail through constant hacking and murdering. He tips off Border Patrol as to their whereabouts, causing them to be captured. In a bloody battle, the trio barely escape the holding facility and make their way by helicopter to their coordinates. They finally find the mysterious figure who has sent Sarah the messages. His name is Carl, reprised by Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he just so happens to be the T-800 who murdered John. See, after Carl's mission was complete and he no longer could receive orders from Skynet since it no longer exists, he found his life meaningless. Through time, he developed empathy, especially when he met, met Alicia and her son Mateo. He rescued them from a horrible domestic situation, and through that began to learn what he took away from Sarah and what she lost. Now, Carl is a loving father, good listener, and is actually hilarious. The four of them decide they can't stay there since the machine will never stop tracking them. They devise a plan to buy two EMPs, electromagnetic pulse bombs, to fry the Rev-9. But Sarah assures Carl once they destroy their hunter, she'll destroy him. And he understands. After getting the EMPs from Major Dean, played by Fraser James, the Terminator chases them to an airfield where the group takes a C-5 cargo plane. It's on the plane, Grace reveals that it's not Danny's son who will become the leader of the resistance, as Sarah earlier resumed. She will. And further than that, it was Danny who found, mothered, and trained Grace. Their tender moment is cut short when the Terminator obliterates the plane, but the group barely escapes in a Humvee attached to a parachute. They land onto a dam, which causes them to be swept underwater, but thanks to Grace and Carl, Sarah and Danny escape. The only problem is, through the chaotic fighting, the EMPs are destroyed. They decide to take their stand inside the underground dam facility. Grace tells Danny the hard truth that she must take out Grace's power supply and stab it into the Terminator, which will destroy it. Danny, who has come to love her protector, is heartbroken to do it. But once she realizes there is no other way, Grace sacrifices herself. Danny has her hero-making moment, and Sarah calls upon Carl one last time to help Danny. Carl and the Rev-9 Terminator are both destroyed, but Carl is able to look Sarah in the eye one last time as he tells her, for John. Back in civilization, Danny watches young Grace play from a playground and reassures herself she won't let her die for her again. Danny and Sarah hop in their Jeep and drive away, as Sarah promises to train Danny to become the resistance leader the world will need as credits roll. Okay. So, yeah, that is pretty dense plot. But I'll starting off with the positives here. I'm going to be honest with you. I love this opening. Oh yeah, I do too. And and the reason why is because I feel like, with the exception of Terminator Salvation, we've been on since day one, since the very first movie we've had. It's always been the same story: mm -hmm. keep John alive, stop Skynet. Right. And here at the very beginning of uh, this newest Terminator Dark Fate, they kill John. First thing, they kill John, which already surprised me. And I was like, okay, 
now I'm into the movie. Whereas before, I felt like it was always hard for me to really just dive deep into these Terminator movies because they always felt so surface level. And so I was excited, actually, to see John killed because that's what the entire goal has been for these movies since day one is essentially to keep John alive and stop Skynet. So now with John dead, my question is, now what? Which is a good thing. And this was Cameron's idea, actually. And this is funny because a lot of people were very upset. They killed- I believe it. John Connor, how dare they trash on the franchise this way? But James Cameron said it was my idea. He wanted to pull the rug out from under audiences and create a springboard to drive Sarah's anger in this film. And I absolutely agree with you, Alan. All of the previous films played it far too safe. Yeah. They never really had those stakes. They weren't willing to go there. I think Genesis tried to go there by crafting John into a melding him in with a Terminator Mm -hmm. and trying to do something a little gutsy that way. But picking this up three years after T2, I got to say also that de-aging is just, I can't even believe how amazing it was. That was incredible. Oh yeah, no, the de-aging I felt surprisingly looked very convincing. now, I did also watch this on DVD quality, so I would love to see what it looks like in, uh, with Blu-ray quality. But from what I was able to see, it did look very good. So, yeah, seeing uh, a young Sarah Connor and a young John Connor was surprising because of how good it looked. Well, yeah, and I didn't expect that at all to see a young Edward Furlong because Edward Furlong yeah. is clearly far older than that. Apparently, he did come and they scanned his face. Okay. And he was hoping they were going to give him this big role just so he could make, in his words, a S ton of money. Yep. Uh, He would love to do more, but we'll see what happens. Those were his words. Okay. But nevertheless, they did use some of those facial references. I just, this also gets me excited for where we are technologically. Yeah. If they can make Linda Hamilton who, and mind you, the uh, first film came out 35 years ago. Mm. This looked like they shot it maybe maybe just a couple years. It looks like they shot it right around T2 in 1991. That's how great she looks. That was incredible. Apparently, this was going to be a little longer, and um, Sarah and John were going to talk, but... This is something I always have issue with. They haven't figured out uh, the lips quite yet. Ah, yeah. With uh, this whole de-aging thing or creating, uh, resurrecting somebody from the dead, essentially. And Cameron realized that. And he said, you know what? The lips don't look right. It's going to take the audiences out of it. Let's just keep it short. And it works perfectly. And uh, and a great opening scene. Yeah. And it also tells us that, you know, pretty much everything... Before this, up until T2, we're going to scrap. Uh, so it it helps also not only just, you know, ripping the rug out from under us, because we have, at this point, we kind of know what to expect. But at the same time, it also gets us into the mindset, okay, saying, okay, we're going to take out everything up until T2, and we're going to start from there. We're going to essentially start fresh and build off from what has already proved to be successful. And so, yeah, they're essentially just retconning 
the entire franchise up until a certain point, which is, again, a smart move because really we've only been adding on to the story since since T2. And Terminator Genesis is really the only one to kind of uh, go and mess up the timeline. But at the same time, it was just ended up being more of a repeat of Terminator 1 than it did anything else. Something that I think they correctly fixed which was one of our biggest complaints is that this doesn't undermine the victory of terminator 2 yeah because in terminator 2 they believed they have stopped judgment day and then in terminator 3 we learn judgment day is inevitable they only prolonged for when it would happen right so in this film judgment day has never happened uh, so far within the timeline that we're given in the present Mm-hmm. So I'm really appreciative that they fix that. They give the victory of Terminator 2, but it's also still a tragedy right. because Sarah at the cost of losing John. And this also fixes one of my biggest issues is why do they wait so dang long to keep sending back Terminators? And she says they just kept sending them back right to to try and kill them so they were really never living a peaceful life and i said thank you that's that was what makes sense it doesn't make sense to wait till john is 20 and send one back every 10 years right that really bothered me so i'm glad they're already fixing a lot of things in this movie and i i kind of mentioned this earlier with the music uh i mentioned junkie xl and how i noticed that there was a noticeable difference uh with the music here uh i don't I, I said this before, I think it was in either T1 or T2, the podcast for those, but I remember saying that I didn't really like the music of Terminator. Even the main theme, I thought, uh, wasn't really anything special. But this, and really up until this point, I have kind of just not even paid attention to the music. But now with this one, I noticed it this time, where it sounds noticeably so much better than it has in every other Terminator movie in my mind. And that's because maybe we have Junkie XL, who is uh, a very good composer. So I was surprised to see the score as good as it was. Now, it's not one I would go out and listen to very often, or really ever, but it is something that I noticed to be something that was a noticeable upgrade from basically every other movie that we've had in this franchise. One of the best things the score does for me that I can say is it really aids in the action scenes to really up the adrenaline and intensity. So I think blending the action on screen and taking that score together, I think they blend very well and they really complement each other. The one negative I had about the score was in the very beginning when we get the opening title credits with Terminator Dark Fate and we're getting the main Terminator theme and there's this really almost like soft but abrupt cutoff of the score. I don't understand the choice for that. Did that stick out to you at all? I guess, uh, I guess it didn't No, mm-hmm. Bugged me. Yeah. But I will <laughs> say this junkie XL is a great choice because he excels at more, uh, electronic, uh, com- compositions. I noticed this in Mad Max Fury Road and a couple of the other things he's also done tend to be very heavy on more of, a, of an electronic side. So this makes total sense to have Junkie XL on this on to be the composer for the soundtrack. One of my favorite actresses in this film is 
not Linda Hamilton, actually, but Mackenzie Davis. Okay. So the last time we had a strong female lead in a Terminator film, or at least a fighting one, was the TX, I would say. And yep. I'm not going to say the Sarah Connor from the last film, from Genesis. I'd say Mackenzie Davis is more on that level. I I think she handled the action scenes incredibly well. And I think she brought an urgency and she was a very strong, tough female presence that I would say this series has tried to do, but has always failed. So I liked that they brought in a tough female this time. Yeah. Aside from Linda Hamilton, okay? Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, they are definitely hearkening back to T2 with the strong Sarah Connor main lead. Uh, Terminator has always tried to have strong female leads or at least strong females in general within their movies. And within the last few, they've kind of been lacking, I feel. Uh, and this one, they essentially just say, okay, let's just go completely women-centric for this entire movie. And I think it works actually surprisingly really well. So yeah, I was surprised not only by her performance, but also the how strong just in general these female leads ended up being in this movie. Uh, I was surprised by that. I wasn't sure what to expect from her because the only other time I've seen her is when we reviewed Blade Runner 2049. That's right, yeah. And she was also a cybernetic type character in that as well, playing a right. very different role. Yes, <laughs> very so different role. I really had no idea what to expect from Mackenzie Davis, but I think one of the things that stood out to me is her kind of fearless perseverance but then there are times where she does reveal this emotional side and yeah. you can understand why she's a fighter, but why she is going to fight so hard to uh, protect. Oh, Danny. Yeah, that's her name. Yeah. So, I mean, they named they, for, I don't know why they named her Grace. I think that's far too on the nose for a character. Name. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It is. <laughs> And I do know some other people didn't connect with Grace's character as much as I did, but I like the look of this character. I think it's interesting that I assumed she was actually a good Terminator. Turns out she is a human. So she yeah. is able to carry with her that empathy that Terminators can never have, or the sympathy, I should say. Right. And bringing that human qualities while trying to match a Terminator. Watch her, watching her take on the Rev-9. The way they film the action also, I think, is great. Yeah. yeah, And it is also interesting, too, because Terminator movies, they've also done this almost from uh, almost from day one, where they try to add either a human touch to the Terminators or in the case of Terminator Genesis, uh, they not really try, but they just go ahead and do it. They put a Terminator inside of a human. Whereas with this one, it's kind of both, I guess, with, with Grace's character because she has Terminator-like qualities to her character um, that's called an augment uh, that it, that happens in the future. So, yeah, it, she has Terminator-like qualities but is definitely not a Terminator. And then also in the same, in the same vein, the, the main enemy of this movie, uh, the Terminator... They've kind of taken from the T-1000 and also the T-X, but have, again, kind of upgraded it. So the, the the skin can be a separate entity along with the endoskeleton. So you can have essentially two working bodies at, running at the same time. I think that's an interesting idea. 
I think for me, I actually like this Rev9 better than the T1000. The T1000 is iconic, but it didn't do much. For the time in 91, it was very awesome and revolutionary and a very smart upgrade from the T800. But I did like that they actually did something different this time because all of the previous Terminator iterations have been so boring since the T1000. But the Rev9, who can split himself apart and be in two places at once, I liked that this Terminator had actual charisma and had a working knowledge of historical events because when he steps through the metal detector, he said it's a, he had a hip replacement from two tours in Afghanistan. Yeah. And so bringing a really strong human quality when need be, but also maintaining that straight face, Robert Patrick T1000 face and the way he handles the action. I thought this was a solid villain for the film. Good idea, yes. Solid villain. Uh, I guess I'll save that for a little bit later. Um, but keeping somewhat in the vein of the villain, it is also interesting, too, that we are focusing on our main characters here. The villain and Danny are also not white. They're very much Mexican. They focus more on a different ethnicity this time around too, along with focusing heavily on uh, on a different on a different gender. They're all also focusing more on a different uh, a different ethnicity. So I think that's also interesting too to bring up is that we're kind of Terminator is kind of broadening its horizons again, uh, which I do very much enjoy. That was interesting. They chose to make the savior, the new savior of mankind, a female and a young Latino woman who is not American and does technically cross the border illegally. Yes. So you can see there is some working in of the Me Too movement and the Dreamers. I'm not really sure how to take that in this film because they clearly want that to be you know, the savior of it. And I guess they're trying to maybe make Americans think, don't discount these people. They're important to our our world too. I just don't think they say enough about that to really land on either side of that kind of controversy, honestly. Yeah. I, I guess I didn't really see it more as a statement than I did just a broadening of one's horizons. Uh, just using somebody that isn't what we see all the time or have seen all the time in Hollywood films as the main character. I think that's where I was mostly seeing it. But you are right. They don't really have much of a statement, which I guess in some ways I kind of like. It's just, you know, they're just going to try something different this time around. Yeah, I I agree that in the sense that our new protagonist is someone we've really not seen before. I like that as well. But... We'll, we'll get into that here in a little bit with this whole second act of crossing the border. It just goes to a place I don't really understand why we needed to go there yeah. and what they're really trying to say about that. We'll, we'll get to there in okay. just a little bit. But what did you think, at least, of coming back to the Rev-9? What did you think of the design, though, of this new Terminator? Yeah, I thought he was... It is a really interesting design. I'll, I'll give it that. It, it's... I don't think it's anything that's like super outside of 
what we've already seen. I do like how like the brain capsule mm-hmm. head is like it has a piece missing out of it. Uh, but it, it doesn't really feel like much of anything outside of the normal Terminator design that we've had for years. It definitely, there are changes, but not th- something that I found to be wildly outside of it. Like uh, last week we noted with the John Connor Terminator, that one did, you I know you said this, did look actually rather interesting and much different than what we've seen before. Uh, it's It's got... Its design is different, yes, but one that I don't think is necessarily anything too outside of what we've already seen. I do wish that they would have changed the design a lot more. Don't get me wrong. I think this design looks good, and I like that one of my disappointments is we don't really ever get to see the actual endoskeleton-type Terminator fighting very much. That's That's always kept to the background, so I think they found a smart way of having the human Terminator and the the physical monster type Terminator itself fighting together. But it is a little weird because we're to assume that it's like Cyberdyne and Skynet's design, but th- those never come to fruition. So you think they'd look a little different. Right. But the one thing I did like was I really, really liked that they made the future look different in 2042. That's true. Yeah, they... We'll talk about Legion in a second. I think it goes along with the villain. But uh, yeah, no, I do like how they are, again, changing things up. And at the same time, too, are, you know, the girl, Danny, who we have kind of been led up to believe until around uh, the hour or hour and a half mark, that she's essentially just Sarah Connor 2.0. We come to find out later that that's actually not the case. Uh the leader that she gives birth to is actually just herself. She is the leader for the future. And I ended up liking that change because now we can actually focus on a character and build up that character instead of saying, well, you're, I'm going to give birth to something later on. I like that we focus, or in theory, we focus on that person uh, and a bit more. We'll get into a little bit how they handle that a little bit later, but right. I like the idea of Danny being like, I guess, the leader who would become the John Connor of a different future. Yeah, I do like that as well, that Sarah's very cynical presumptions are wrong because I think Sarah feels like she lost her son and she wasn't able to become any kind of leader her son was but now this female is able to find that strength and really lead these people we'll talk about that in a minute like you said whether they exactly sell us on that yeah very well or not but um jumping back to the rev nine i did want to note why they're called that this is actually a reference to revelation nine okay from the Bible. So gotcha. if if you read that, um, it says, I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. Interesting. So my guess is that in the future, the humans, the humans call them Rev Nines um, because the Bible in some ways is more influential on this Terminator film than any of the other films. And I'm going to credit that to Josh Friedman because Josh Friedman created the TV show and they bring up the Bible so much 
in every other episode. And in the TV show, it's no longer called Skynet because of how they changed the events of the future. It's going to be called Babylon. Interesting. Yes. Huh. And that's actually something I really liked about this show, this movie. And I got to think it was Josh Friedman who did this is because Sarah's like, what about Skynet? And Grace says, what's Skynet? Mm-hmm. And that would only make logical sense that by destroying Skynet and Cyberdyne and whatnot, preventing that from happening, it wouldn't work. But nevertheless, the race to artificial superintelligence isn't going to be stopped. It's like saying, we stopped Alexa. But then you have to think, well, what about Siri? Siri is still functioning and Cortana. Yeah. Oh, oh, wait. Yeah. So in this, it's not Skynet. It's Legion. Legion is also from the Bible. That is the name of the demon that Jesus comes in contact with. So I'm really surprised at how much they're kind of pulling from scriptural and inserting into this movie. But I do like that. Actually, it's not called Skynet anymore. Yeah, yeah. They I'll, I'll bring up. They okay, so they do bring some up some scripture and bi- references to the Bible in salvation, uh, but those at yes. the same time are also kind of in your face about it. <laughs> this one is this one does keep it a bit more subtle than yeah. what we have seen before. So yeah, you are right. It is interesting to see that, and I get. I would assume that uh, that verse or that in. Revelation chapter nine is more of a reference to the AI that ends up taking over, which at first is something that is great. And then of course becomes, as it, as it says, this dark abyss. Uh, so yeah, there are definitely a lot of references to scripture in this movie, although they are much more subtle this time around than they were last time we had them. I will say they do draw upon some Christian worldviews or possible themes now, they're not just towards Christianity. I mean, these are more so universal, but I would say such as themes as love, forgiveness, redemption, and self-sacrifice are big ones in this movie. Yeah, self-sacrifice is a big one. It's, really, it's a really, really big one. But yes, you're correct. And I would say bringing in those themes, the Terminator franchise has been severely lacking on themes. It's had almost, you could say, a very nihilistic worldview, at least for the original trilogy, just drawing upon fate. And it should be noted that when you don't want to talk about God, but you want to say there is still some kind of divine plan, you bring up fate. When you want to reference a divine God working through the universe, then you use the word destiny. Gotcha. So that is very interesting. This film is called Dark Fate. But there's no dark fate to be had because uh, one of the big lines in this movie is F fate. Yep. Uh, Which I really like that, that it's like, forget about fate. We um, have the we have the battle of free will. It's the battle of free will versus predestination. And the Terminator films have always subscribed to predestination. And James Cameron said, let's bring in free will and see what these characters can do with that. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> let's shake yeah. it up <laughs> yeah this definitely has also been one of the more thematically rich terminator movies that we've had in a while i would say this one and t2 are probably the most thematically rich terminator movies that we have and this one i feel does a much better job especially with more modern examples and more modern i guess uh ways of thinking especially with with how it presents those themes because you are right it is one a movie that is saying yeah forget about fate 
we can do, we can, we write our own fate more or less, which is kind of what happened in T2. But at the same time, this one feels in some ways a little bit more personal than in T2. So yeah, they, this one is definitely the most thematically rich of all the Terminator movies that we've had, at least since T2, I would say. And speaking of personal, I think they finally give Arnold Schwarzenegger a meaningful purpose to yeah. come back. Yeah, this was, this was a very big surprise for me. So I was shocked as well. I knew Arnold was going to be back because... I mean, he's all he, over the poster. It's kind yeah. of hard to miss. <laughs> he's all over the poster, and it wasn't a surprise to me who this mysterious character was. Sending them text messages because he hadn't showed up for the entirety of the film. Who's left to show up? Yeah. So it's Arnold. And I find this also very interesting. We're getting into deeper sci-fi exploration here, like Ghost in the Shell and iRobot type stuff. Mm -hmm. Of What if this machine could evolve in some capacity to at least experience empathy? And I actually really loved some of these touching moments between yeah. um, the Terminator and Sarah Connor where and especially because they're so much older now i think it means more where he says witnessing the domestic abuse situation after spending so much time in the world and this is also drawing upon like mary shelley's frankenstein who is this outcast that doesn't really belong but learns to love and desires to be loved because that is where only true meaning can be found and he brings that up i didn't have any purpose without Skynet and you freed me from my bondage and uh, talking about uh, learning to love this family. And then um, Sarah is kind of learning to forgive him and the self-sacrifice. I was pretty blown away that they're, they were really striving to go deeper with this character connections. Yeah, this is definitely when they finally revealed Arnold Schwarzenegger's character and they got to talking and revealed what he's been doing for all these years. That was my favorite part of this entire movie because mm. it's not, again, it's thematically rich because we finally get to dive into something. We got we have some meat here to, to sink our teeth into. And we get to discuss and bring up questions about, okay, well, what happens to a Terminator once it's finished its job? Which in this case, we find out that uh, the Arnold, Schwar Arnold Schwarzenegger, the T-800, has somewhat developed some kind of empathy and even has a family and even wants to help Sarah Connor in some ways reconcile and ask for forgiveness in some kind of a way. And maybe in search of, maybe in search of some kind of redemption for what he has done. That's, it's weird to say that's coming from a Terminator movie because they've all been like just, you know, walking literally walking machines they don't really have many feelings until finally this one they finally decide to reach down and say okay well what if the terminators are a little bit more human than what they were ever made to be or what they'd end up becoming that way you know what happens next i think that's very interesting and that's also kind of what i'm saying is there are these more so subtle christian themes that are woven into this movie mm -hmm. of kind of being freed from bondage and the ruler of the world being cast out and uh, i really found those to be fascinating they worked those in there and it was touching when arnold said my past has finally caught up with me yeah and i understand that i have to pay that price 
and he looks at everything that he's built and he says, I won't be back. And I thought, oh, if, if it, that was like the perfect usage of that, I yeah. would say that actually brought some sentimentality to it instead of just making it a fun line they have to throw into every movie. But also, I got to say, he he's the funniest in this movie. Yeah, since he definitely he's been is. in a long time. Oh, yeah, he is definitely he he wasn't lying when he said I'm also very funny. Yeah. He is. He is rather, actually surprisingly very funny. I know. I love that when they go down to his gun bunker and they're like, why do you have these guns? I thought you were like a really nice guy now. And he said, according to my calculations, 73 percent of humanity will fall into barbarism. And this is Texas. <laughs> yeah. And he's, and he's also, um, they're just shooting the breeze, waiting for the general to give him the EMPs. Mm. And he's just telling his drapery stories to yep. Danny. And he's like, a father wanted to decorate her room all in pink bunnies. And I said, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I just, yeah. I, I was just cracking up. Yeah. He is it's surprising because I think it's, uh, it's definitely the way that he goes about it, right? It's, it's part yeah. of just his acting style. Yes. Because it's kind of it's kind of the same throughout most of the movies he's in. And then at the same time, it's also like the situation that you're in with him. He's a dad and mm-hmm. he's acting this way. He's supposed to be a Terminator who is not supposed to have any feelings. It is, it is actually rather hilarious. Well, the one other thing is, do you feel like Arnold and Linda are finally given proper closure? For their characters. Hmm. For Arnold, I think yes. I, I think we finally reached what Terminator 2 was kind of going for, um, which was giving more human-like qualities to a Terminator. And in this one, I think they finally reached that point where uh, it feels satisfying now. With Linda Hamilton's character, I guess so, yeah. Because she essentially kind of reverts back to her terminator that that's seen in terminator 2 where she is a terminator for a while she kind of reverts that back to that but it's kind of that way for a lot of the movie she even wears the sunglasses when she's introduced so and then seeing here at the end where she's when she learns to essentially forgive this terminator again for killing her son i i I guess yeah i guess i do feel that her their characters are wrapped up pretty nicely although i would say more so uh the t800s character than linda hamilton I would say the same thing. I feel like they are both given proper closure that gives me satisfaction. They came from an emotional story arc across the three films and kind of concluding with the machine that hunted her down and tried to murder her in the beginning now is helping her. And it also ended up murdering her son and now it helps her. And that whole, for John thing. I think they played it nicely. It could have become sappy if they would have done it wrong. But to me, I actually feel for once satisfied between these characters uh, closure. I was never satisfied that they just killed her off off screen with cancer. Yeah. About that in Terminator three. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah, that was awful. So I and according to Linda Hamilton in interviews recently, she said she is done with the franchise for good. This was her okay. last hoorah. And I'm satisfied with that. I, I don't think they really leave it too open ended for us for character arc wise anyway. Yep, I would agree with that. One last thing. I'm glad this film doesn't entangle itself in convoluted time travel plots. 
the last film would make anybody's would make an astrophysicist head hurt. And I'm glad, you know, time travel has been a huge crux of this series. Okay, we got it in one, we got it in two, and we got it in all the other dang ones. Just leave it alone. It's mm -hmm. fine. They don't like, oh my gosh, we time traveled. The only thing that was a little weird was the whole time displacement ripples that the yeah. Terminator felt. That was like, okay, come on. Let's, I don't, don't know what that's all about. They don't really explain it, but yes. Yeah, yeah it, it was one of those things where it's like, ah, huh? <laughs> all right. One of my disappointments for the film is Danny being the leader of the resistance is hard for me to accept, at least within the first film. And I think they did the wrong thing by showing a flash forward into the future and showing her kind of rousting humanity to fight against the machines. I don't think they could make that that character arc leap like that because we're still missing so much to her character development it was too hard for me to believe in that moment i would say her entire character is severely underdeveloped in this movie because <laughs> she is touted as being especially when we get to that scene in the movie she's touted as being you know like the leader who leads the resistance against the machines she's the john connor of a different future Problem is, she's has hardly anything to her. She feels like uh, she is a one-dimensional character, and those leadership tendencies don't really come out until about an hour in or hour and a half in, when she randomly decides to give some inspirational speech to uh, to her friends. At this point, I don't know. I never really bought that her character would become a leader. And that's because I don't really know anything about her character. They're they don't really explore her at all. She is severely underdeveloped. Yeah. And I've heard some people say that, well, did you see her, you know, taking care of her dad, telling him to get the egg. She's kind of in charge of her little community apartment complex area. And she stands up for her brother at her job that doesn't work. That doesn't work. It's not enough. Yeah, there there isn't enough hook, like there isn't enough character there for those scenes to mean as much as they're trying to mean. Well, I also didn't find her to be a very good actress. She seemed fairly one note with her performance. Yeah, and that might be because of her character too. Uh, I don't know. It could be the way that she's written, but her father and brother are murdered early on and that doesn't seem to affect her. No, maybe she just hasn't had time to think about it. I don't know, but these films uh, all have a lot. Well, excuse me. These three characters have a, something in common in that um, their loved ones have been taken away from them. Right now, Sarah Connor's character uh, embodies that incredibly. She yeah. is clearly this raging alcoholic that, and her entrance is awesome and she has extreme bitterness and that's played out well between her and Carl. And we just talked about how much we loved that aspect. And I even liked Grace's um, emotional tie uh, better than Danny's emotional tie because Grace comes from this battle-worn future 
where she has to become part cyborg and then volunteers to go back in time to save her, um, save her mother figure, the woman that took her in and trained her and was her protege, but mother figure, there's so much potential to tap into between the mother daughter dynamic that is oh, sadly yeah. missing in this film. Yeah. And like, this is a much better explanation as to why one would want to go back in time to save somebody than what we get in Terminator one, which is <laughs> illogical. It's supposed to be like, Oh, Hey, yeah, I did it for duty. But in reality, I did it because I love her. It, it yeah, feels like is. a much more different kind of love. I, I oh, like yeah. that. She goes back in the past to save essentially here. Yeah. You're her mother figure. And that is, uh, one of the key things in this movie is motherhood. Uh, I like that idea. The problem is, again, uh, it's, it's a much better way than in the past. But yeah, I wish there was more to that connection. And I think the reason why I say that is because there are too many characters in this movie that they have to focus on. Uh, they had to focus on already Arnold Schwarzenegger, Linda Hamilton, uh, new ch and two newcomers. So we already have four main characters that we have to focus on in this movie. I think it just becomes convoluted. Well, and not to mention, we have to cut back to the Rev-9. That's true, yeah. And a villain that, that is, after a certain point set, just stops talking altogether. Yeah. Something that I was just, as I'm still saying, sorely disappointed about is they should have driven harder home. The emotional connection that Grace has with Danny, but Danny doesn't have with grace, but it comes to develop towards the end of the film. It feels like they just wrote it without actually depicting it. And that's, that's such a major disappointment. That could have been an incredible character dynamic connection. That's just not there. Oh, and yeah. so those characters are pretty much paper thin and it's not only too many characters, it's far too many sequences. It becomes very cumbersome towards the end of the film. Yeah, yeah it does. I found it very muddy blurring the second and third act um, because I thought it was interesting that it took place in Mexico City. That's uh, I've been to Mexico. It's been a very long time, <laughs> but it was a new location and I think a new location to a lot of people as well. Um, starting like under Grace Falls, like under the bridge. And they have the fight with the cops under the bridge. I was loving all of the locations and the different dynamics that it's, it's separated from America. But I thought it was pretty annoying that they had to cross the border. And that's where it became very cumbersome. They have to yeah. hire her uncle who is a coyote. And I'm not sure if they were trying to give that any sort of positive representation. And then they get caught, which... Phil's clunky as well, and they have to steal a helicopter, and then they have to buy an EMP, and then they have to steal a plane, and then they get crashed into a dam, and then that all just ran together far too much, and at one point, my dad and I were like, okay, please, let's let's figure this out here, because I thought the uh, climax of the movie was coming when they were buying the EMPs, mm -hmm. and they are going to battle it out at the airbase. Little did I know we had like another 25 minutes left to go. Yeah, this movie, like you said, in the last Too 45 long. minutes becomes extremely convoluted and just kind of hard to follow because there's just a lot of things that happen. And a lot of them are just like convenient that they happen because, you know, Linda Hamilton's character, or Sarah Connor just happens to know a major in the military 
who that would, didn't make any sense. Yeah, who is just who does she doesn't mention until the till some random moment in the movie, uh, and he's willing to give her EMPs because <laughs> apparently he owes her, and then also was willing to give them an entire cargo jet to leave on. It's it partly is because it's some of these a lot of these sequences end or start with something that is just so uh, convenient that it's just like okay what. That's probably the best example of a very convenient situation is Sarah Connor knowing a guy who can get them these things. It's just like ridiculous. It, it, it doesn't make any sense because she is on the, like the FBI's most wanted list. Yeah, like, okay. And he, and he does make the funny joke, I just don't commit treason for anyone. But yeah, where did this come from? Right. It's not explained in any way. And he dies quickly, so we don't have to worry about him. And some of this becomes overload CGI. I find it to be quite ugly in some instances. Yeah, I can no- notably the in-plane fight scene mm-hmm. has a lot of C- has a lot of CGI in it, which some of it doesn't really look all that good. No, it doesn't. And when they have the Rev Nine doing all kinds of crazy flips, and he's just like. Just like leaping like a mountain cat onto cages. It doesn't look real at all. Oh, yeah, yeah. And speaking of the Rev-9, he's a villain that I feel is probably one of the worst villains that we've had in the Terminator franchise. Oh, really? Uh, Because he only really shows up, and this is in terms of how much impact he has on 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 the story. He really only shows up when the script, like, needs him to show up it doesn't feel like he's really organically ingrained into this into the film to be fair however the terminator series has not really been one for villains either nope. <laughs> uh so he i guess he kind of fits in pretty well uh with the other villains that we have here i mean i feel like the villain in the first terminator movie is probably the best one that we have because it one is so simplistic in its execution whereas this one we have so many characters that were that we're focusing on and also this villain that we're supposed to be focusing on. But I feel that he is just, again, underdeveloped and also underutilized. Arnold's villain in the first film is the best. I would agree with you. Yeah. He plays that off so well, so robotic. It's incredible. Right. I do like Robert Patrick's T-1000 because it is the perfect playing off the opposite of a Mr. Bodybuilder. He's this slim, sleek, killing machine that is just going to come after you with everything that i hate the tx is worthless yeah i guess sam worthington is supposed to be the bad guy in salvation that one's kind of hard to say what who the villain actually is in that one and that's yeah that's confusing because it's almost a movie without a villain in some ways i don't know i will say one of the most probably the most rich villain is probably the John Connor Terminator hybrid from Genesis because it proposes that interesting question of what if Terminator and man could come together and create the perfect transcendent uh, being. I found at least the questions posed with that villain to at least be asking something and be trying to do more with the characters there it's not just trying to kill the characters it's trying to bring the characters over to its side yeah which is something the terminator has never done so i appreciated it for that fact 
this is very much in the vein of the T-1000, hunt them, kill them, and finish it off. There's not much to it, but I think Gabriel Luna does a great job with what he's given. Uh, I think I mentioned this in Genesis. No, no, no. Well, maybe Genesis, but it was definitely, I mentioned this in Salvation. Uh, the dialogue, I noted in that one, I wasn't a very big fan of. Same thing here. The dialogue in this movie is really, it can be really cheesy at times. Uh, I have a few lines here, like funerals won't help them and goodbyes won't help you or <laughs> one caught up with us and carry out orders from the future that never happened. Or if you're a mother married, then why do I want to beat the crap out of you? Ooh, yeah. It's the, it doesn't have very good Cringe. dialogue here. And then, and sometimes, especially most notably the scene when Danny has her big stand up emo, uh, inspirational speech inside the plane, it doesn't really come off correctly. It doesn't really come off like an actual inspirational speech. It comes off as a bit more cringy. Oh, yeah. There are tons of cringy dialogues that. Uh, Mother Mary one. Yeah. Let that one was else probably mother. my favorite of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as far as cringe goes. Let someone else be Mother Mary for a change. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Danny's speech. Are you talking about when she's in the flash, when she's in the flash forward in the future? Both. And the one when she's in the plane and then the one that also in the flash forward. They're, they are very similar. Yeah, I found that to be pretty dumb. It didn't, I didn't buy it at all, as if she's able to just change people's hearts and minds within right. an instant. Right. Why? Nothing would give me... I wouldn't follow her. <laughs> I wouldn't. And yeah. uh, what, what was the other line that I was thinking of? Oh, when she grace says we're going to run and she says no we're going to stand up and we're going to get it we're going to create a kill box we're going to fight it and i thought oh yeah she's like the spunky teen that's pretty headstrong and you know the one adult wants her to go along with it so the other parent can feel bad and get their and they can get their way <laughs> that's the way i interpret oh, yeah, it oh yeah yeah exactly and then this this dialogue also just spells out way too much there's a great scene when they finally kind of reveal Danny's character to be, oh, she's John, right? They, they yes. literally come out and just say, she's John, oh, yeah, you're John. Right. Like, yes. chillax. I can, I understand she's John, you don't have to tell me. It's it's also cheesy and then also just way too on the nose sometimes, which we've already, I think we've already mentioned that a couple of times anyways. It's just way too on the nose. I couldn't believe Sarah becomes the narrator in that scene. Yeah. And we all figure it out and they have to show us. Yes. They have to show us. They have to tell us a couple times. Yes. And then Sarah has to, Sarah, because I guess she's catching up. Who knows what the alcohol has done to her brain cells. Mm -hmm. She says she's John. I can't, couldn't believe that. So you're right. There is some weird dialogue that doesn't work. Like in the beginning, the cops are like, I love it when it rains naked ladies from under the bridge like, yeah okay, okay. <laughs> um but i think as we've touched upon earlier the best dialogue comes between carl and sarah on carl's homestead yeah yeah so who, knew are, who knew they're going to give arnold the best dialogue in the film right yeah there are <laughs> as cheesy as it can really be there are times where it, it does it does work but 
there are a lot of cheesy moments here too. Well, yeah, and like Danny with her brother in the beginning, and yeah, he's like, I've got 140 likes, and I'm going to be the next Bruno Mars. Yeah, what? They're trying to tap into the millennial market, I guess. But and I guess that was one question I forgot to ask you is I thought Danny and her brother were going to high school. Yeah. Surprise, they're realize, going to their factory job. Yeah, I didn't realize they worked <laughs> in a car factory. That that one was, uh, I'm with you, it was kind of a bait and switch. Oh, I guess, for me, I guess, it felt like a bait and switch because I was like, oh, are these the like, young people going to high school? And mm-hmm. no, no, they're not. They're going to work. It was strange. Um, I definitely don't. There are a couple moments that feel very made for TV and quality. Okay. Where the quality drops. And I've brought it up a few times, but the flash forward to danny's revelation as the leader of the resistance i was expecting something awesome i was expecting her in some kind of battle armor and maybe she was on the field she was with her generals she was like leonidas and 300 just ready to lead them instead she just kind of pops up through the hole in the wall and says don't don't do it that's what the machines want they want us to fight each other and she just uses her master persuasive powers to change their hearts and minds in an instant. I, uh, that was that was like, oh my gosh, we just entered Lifetime Channel here. <laughs> oh, oh no. Yeah. And then the end, I felt the end of the film, I thought it was going to have a good ending with like for John, you know, credits roll. No, Danny has to be watching her on the playground and say, I'm not going to let her die for me again. And what guess does what? That mean Danny gets her driver's license also because that was I a guess. big point. I don't know how to drive, but I can figure it out. So then she drives the Jeep in the end, which is supposed to be like Sarah driving the Jeep in the end. And Sarah's like, I can train you. Please no. Do you have to end every dang Terminator movie with them driving off like their tippy hedron in the birds? <laughs> <laughs> How many movies have we had where they drive like they literally drive off into the sunset? Genesis ended that way. Yeah. T2 ended that way. No, T2 just kind of abruptly ended. Well, T2 was a the last shot was driving like a shot of just the road at night. Driving. That's right. Yeah, yeah. T1 definitely ended that way with uh, Sarah Connor driving up into the distance. Anyways, tired of the tired of the needless driving shots. That was that was such a tacked on. Um, I haven't seen something that made me so disoriented. I felt so out of the movie. Then with those awful endings they used to tack on to movies to set it up for a sequel, like <gasps> they'll be back. I'm thinking of like Green Lantern as one example. I haven't seen a film be this on the nose in a long time with setting itself up for the next film because usually most studios or production companies seem to shy away from setting that up. And you think they would have learned their dang lesson by now since this is the third reboot within the same decade that within 10 years, the third reboot within 10 years where it's a promised trilogy and nothing's going to come of it. And, but they're so overconfident that this is going to kick off a new thing. And I think they're making the same mistake as the previous two entries. They don't have to explain these characters very much because we're going to have plenty of time to explore them in future sequels. Surprise, it never happens. Yeah, the, the two main 
the two, I guess, legacy characters that are here, Sarah Connor and the T-800, do, I feel, get the most development of all the other characters. And we leave Grace and uh, Danny just kind of at the wayside. And I, I honestly, this is probably, this is a movie where I felt way too often that I knew I was in a, I was watching a yeah. film because of how many conveniences there are, because of the really, honestly, stupid and cheesy dialogue that just keeps coming back up. There are so many times where I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm watching a movie. Somebody wrote this uh, because it is just, it it is just so convenient and sometimes is kind of hard to, uh, what's the word, suspend your disbelief for it. One thing I'm kind of sad because I kind of, I, at this point, I feel like we're not going to see very much into the future with these films is I really did like these fights in the future with these really cool redesign of the ships and they're fi- supposedly they're fighting rev sevens into the future. Those things that the terminators with like the spikes come like flying out of them, like tentacles. Oh they're fighting yeah, those. yeah. That looked like that could actually be a really cool movie. Now, Maybe that's more made for Netflix quality. I don't know. But nevertheless, I did like at least that hint of a very different type of future where they fight that didn't look like what we've seen in previous Terminator films. I don't think we're going right. to get that, though, but we got a glimpse of it. Yeah. Now, did this remind you, this this scene, especially when we have the flash, I guess, forward to Grace fighting in the war, did this remind you at all of Edge of Tomorrow? Because it reminded me a lot, especially this scene just in particular, it reminded me so much of that. I movie. knew you were going to say that. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah? Because this <laughs> is, they took a page from Edge of Tomorrow, especially with the Terminator monsters um, okay. fighting. I'm not crazy. It looked cool. I think they should have done some things differently, but I mean... I liked it. I, th- I think the aesthetic of their combat armor looked very, very different. It looked almost like a bit of a cross between Cameron's aliens in some ways with the Terminator franchise. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, completely Edge of Tomorrow. And she kills that Rev 7 somehow. I have no idea how, but they can't kill Rev 9. Yeah. They cut it. They cut to black before we actually get to see how she does it. But yeah. I don't know. Uh, since we're here in the future, uh, <laughs> Legion. Uh, it's essentially Skynet. I mean, there there really is hardly any difference between the two of them. Let's be honest here. They're both AIs that go ramp, that go crazy in the future at some point, and they cause a nuclear holocaust. I don't know why they decided to rename it and say it's something totally different than Skynet, because it absolutely isn't. It's literally the exact same thing with a different name. I think that's what they were getting at in Terminator Genesis as well, is that it wouldn't be called Skynet. It would be called Genesis instead. And in this one, oh, yeah, that's right. it's called Legion. They don't really understand how Legion is able to knock out power and all electronics, basically casting like this worldwide EMP at once. I think that's a fascinating thing we haven't seen because that is brought up in the Blade Runner series in the short blackout where the replicants yeah, explode yeah. a nuclear bomb over LA, which would create an electromagnetic pulse which would knock everything out. It's it's right. better explored in Blackout if you're interested in that. Yeah, a 15-minute short <laughs> film. <laughs> Nevertheless, I can see they're trying to pull up some different things, and I like that they move Judgment Day 
way farther into the future because we're so far off from artificial super intelligence so far off we're a basic ai right now um yeah we're getting closer to general uh ai but anyways regardless um i think the naming of it legion is probably more so i think humanity probably called it that once again it seems like they've returned to some more so of a biblical worldview of the future of this revelation of this apocalypse and calling it legion where the demon is not one but many but it's contained within one body that's that's the takeaway i got from all of it um this also this future looked very much to me like the book of eli which really really just made me wish denzel washington was the leader of the resistance in this movie i would have been so happy (laughs) denzel washington comes out and he's actually john connor the whole time surprise i would love that now you got me on that. I guess I guess thematically the name works. Sure. Uh, but yeah, it, it, I guess I'm just bothered by the fact that it's just it's the same thing that's kind of always been. Which I I mean I guess can, I can't complain too much about because they spend most of their time focusing more on the story and the characters than they do what's in the future and all the semantics on that because we've already focused on that way too much in the past movies. Their 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 main focus is these characters and the story that they are currently in, not what's going to happen in the future. That's not something I'm bothered about. That's something I actually really like. And that is the main thrust of the TV show is that Sarah and John have destroyed Cyberdyne and any hopes of Skynet, but there are still people in the world creating artificial intelligence that will eventually become self-aware to take over. So in the TV show, it begins as the Turk, and then the Turk evolves into Babylon. And that's exactly what I think Josh Friedman brought into the TV show here, is that irregardless of whether they destroy Skynet, they won't destroy man's innovation to achieve artificial intelligence. And it won't necessarily be called Skynet. It will be called legion or babylon or the turk or something like that so for that part i liked but we're not given enough to really delve into it and what do you think alan do you think we're gonna get a sequel to this movie my guess is probably not no i think the franchise is dead for now but is this film dead or i don't know is it very much alive Are we ready to give them our recommendations, Alan? I think so. All right. Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Terminator Dark Fate? Terminator Dark Fate is the best thing to happen to Terminator since Terminator 2. However, it's still not a great movie. I would say it's passable, but there are definitely times... I just said this a little bit ago. There are times where I, I there are times where I knew, I felt, okay, I'm watching a movie, and it just kind of pulled me out because of either some kind of stupid convenience or just some stupid line of dialogue. That is a thing of this movie. There are really silly parts to it, but what they do do in this movie, when it comes to, especially with Arnold Schwarzenegger's character and Linda Hamilton, or uh, Sarah Connor's character. They do honestly a very interesting job at finally going deeper into what it means to be a Terminator, what it means to have some kind of humanity, forgiveness, 
redemption, et cetera, et cetera, to something that is not supposed to be human. It's supposed to be the complete opposite. It's supposed to be infiltrating. I like that idea. They finally do that. But at the same time, is this a movie that I would recommend? Sure, I would I would recommend it. Would I buy it on Blu-ray? I guess we'll have to see. So in the end of the day, it's the best thing to happen in Terminator because this is this is what Terminator Genesis should have been in my mind. This is different enough to me for me to feel like this is something that is more refreshing than Terminator, or really any any Terminator movie since Terminator 2. So finally, we have one that I actually enjoyed watching, uh, not one that I got bored with halfway through it. So it, anyways, at the end of the day, yes, solid recommend, six out of 10. It's not perfect, it's not great, it's very okay, but I at least had way more fun with this one than I have, honestly, with every other Terminator movie that we've reviewed so far. Terminator Dark Fate is probably the best Terminator sequel we're ever going to get outside of the original two. And in many ways, this film is better than all of the rest. Dark Fate isn't actually about a dark fate, but rather man's free will to choose good or evil. These themes of free will versus predestination, self-sacrifice for those we love, and ultimately forgiveness and redemption are what Dark Fate's worldviews stand out from the rest. It was refreshing to see a Terminator film not reassigned to the unassailable evils of the world. This is a film about overcoming great odds in order for good to triumph over evil. Yes, sometimes it's on the nose and certain emotional moments are forced, but overall I'm very pleased with the worldview and thematic elements of the film. Another strong positive is this does in fact feel like a definite sequel to the original two films, while still bringing a fresh storyline. I'm so glad the rinse and repeat formula of the previous installments is ditched to craft something fresh in this stale universe. Having Skynet be a thing of the future, long gone, gives meaning to Sarah and John's triumph in T2, while still leaving logical room for a different AI to take Skynet's place. Mackenzie Davis is the saving grace of this film. She is a tough female with emotional depth and a gripping character arc. Also, I'm so glad Arnold finally has a purpose in coming back to the franchise. A machine learning to love may not be logical, but the point is admirable and further develops off of his character and Sarah's feelings about him from T2. Linda Hamilton coming back, I liken to Harrison Ford returning in Blade Runner 2049. Both characters are important to the story, but they're more so peripheral in order for their legacy to have more meaning. Having her and Arnold return 28 years later provides much needed closure to the gaping hole left by Terminator 3. There are some obvious political messages such as that of the Dreamers and the Me Too movement lobbed into this film that are unnecessary, but thankfully the viewer isn't hit over the head with them. They're there and we move on. There is a lot to like about this film, but by the end, I've been through one too many action sequences and I feel like nothing truly satisfactory has been accomplished, making this once again another installment that's meant to set up a trilogy and leave me thinking, did we really need this? But as I began, this is probably the best true Terminator sequel we're ever going to get. Terminator Dark Fate receives six stars out of ten with a mild recommend. We actually agree at a rating for once. Yeah. Praise for the, for the series. <laughs> yes, I did write down our rating. We did agree on Terminator 2 rating. 
everything oh, that's else. Right. We, that's right. We did. I, but I remember those, the reason for that rating was vastly different. Yeah. <laughs> everything else was, we was pretty much off. Um, except we actually had the same rating on Terminator three. We both gave that film a four. Okay. And we, but I mean, that movie's garbage. So there's <laughs> that's, not that's much, fair. Con- there's not much controversy to that one. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. That's kind of universally hated. But will I pick this one up on Blu-ray? Yes, I will. Because I like this movie well enough to revisit it whenever I want. Plus, I want to complete the collection. And I'm also intrigued to explore the special features and possible commentaries. Yeah, I, I would probably pick it up. I would probably pick it up for no more than five dollars, but yeah. I would probably pick it up. I already own the first two. There were some gifts, so okay. uh, I might own this one too because it technically is a trilogy. Yep. So it so, is yeah. now an official trilogy. That's right. I would pick this one up during Black Friday. That's a this good idea. Year. It'll be pretty cheap. I guarantee it. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to try and make back as much money as it can with home video sales. Than it yeah. is with the with it, the theatrical sales. It needs it. Yeah. So I want to know, Alan, your final ranking of the movies. I've got my final ranking. It's like vastly different from what everybody else is, because I don't know. I, I went t- in totally different directions in the mainstream on this franchise, but my ranking is my number one is still Terminator Salvation. Of course. With, with an 8 out of 10. Love that movie. But here's the thing. I think you have to be at like a like adolescent type age and watch whatever Terminator film came out then to truly love that film. That's fair. Because I know people that were young when the original films came out and they're just like die hard love them and don't really see the problems we brought up with it. Now, for me, I was an adolescent when I saw Salvation, and those same people hate that movie and think it's a garbage movie. Or they would say it's a it's a very well-done action film, but it's just not a Terminator film. Yeah. That's what some yeah. people say. Anyways, Terminator Salvation is my number one. Terminator 2, I, I gave a 7 out of 10. Dark Fate comes in third with a 6 out of 10. It's sort of tied with Genesis, which I also gave a six out of 10, but this is uh, a lot better than Genesis. But I, Genesis was so different. That was such a fun, almost kids movie in a way. Mm. Like I think of like, what if they just took action figures and went crazy with them? <laughs> I mean, they're literally action figures in that movie. That's very accurate. Um, my fifth pick is The Terminator with a five out of 10. And Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, comes in dead last with a 4 out of 10. So technically, I only didn't recommend two out of the six films. All right. Uh, For me, okay, now the first two are rather close. Terminator 2 is number one. Terminator Dark Fate is number two. I think those are honestly really close uh, to being on the number one spot mm-hmm. for me. I believe, I remember I gave Terminator 2 a 7, yeah. and Dark Fate I just gave a 6. The Terminator is next and number three. Um, I believe I give that a five, I want to say. Um, again, not a very big fan of that one. Terminator Salvation is after that at number four. I think I gave that one a five or a six. Then Terminator 3 and then Terminator Genesis. But here's the thing, and I've stated this before, uh, actually multiple times and I think almost every podcast so far. Uh, I am not a fan of the Terminator series. However... I mentioned in my final thoughts that 
Dark Fate is the most fun I've had in a Terminator movie. And in some ways, this might be the best that I've seen so far. But that also depends on what I think about the theatrical cut of Terminator 2. Because I did watch the special edition and noted in that podcast, it was boring. So it's hard to say if I prefer one or the other. Um, I think I prefer T2 for its uh, more for its cinematic qualities and then Dark Fate for its, for its more thematic qualities. Yeah, that's definitely fair. Now, as for if I was just going to recommend, somebody says, I've never watched the Terminator films. I want the experience. What should I watch? I would say that you should probably just watch one and two and watch two with the alternate ending with Sarah Connor in 2029 or whatever it is. And John has grown up with a daughter and they win. And that's actually a cut of the movie you can watch. And it rounds out that duology. If you're hungry for more, make it a trilogy and round out, round it out with Dark Fate. I think Salvation is a great Mad Max Apocalypse Now combo one-off film that really doesn't feel tied in to these movies. But um, I would recommend that just for a fun action film. Yeah, I would say you could get away with one, two, and three. One has pretty significant Hollywood uh, inspirations on it, and uh, two is considered to be by many to be one of the greatest, also very innovative for its time. And then I feel Dark Fate just kind of helps round out some of those corners as sure. well. So yeah, that's what I that's what I would do is one, two, and three if you if you want to go for it. Everything no, else, everything else. It's a no-fly zone. (laughs) Which works because they're not canonical if you watch your preferred method. That's true. So my average rating for the series is 6 out of 10, which means it's okay and comes with a very mild recommend. If I'm not mistaken, Alan, your average is a 5 out of 10, which... Which I'm guessing you would probably say as the series as a whole, would you wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, yeah. As as a series, as a whole, if the Terminator franchise was one whole movie, yeah, 5 out of 10 seems very accurate to me. Um, would I recommend it? Uh, no. No. <laughs> I don't think I would. I honestly, I don't really want to come back to these Terminator movies now that I've seen them all the way through. Dark Fate, maybe. T2, maybe. We'll see. So there are no current future developments. I know Cameron plotted out the trilogy. So if that's ever going to be a thing, they're ready to pick up. They clearly set up brand new characters for us to follow along with the new trilogy. My guess is because it did very well critically and audiences seem to like it well enough, but they just didn't turn out to make it viable. So Maybe this could have a life on a streaming service as a as a TV show. I know uh, Westworld is doing really well, and that's about robots in the future. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I'm guessing this trilogy won't pan out, but we will see Terminator reappear in some form, but it's going to be quite a few years from now. I would personally love to see this as a really violent, gritty anime movie or tv show yeah i think it would honestly work for that because okay he, i don't think dark dark fate could almost be 
PG thirteen. Yeah, if yeah, they were to take out language, it would. I think it would be a PG thirteen. So yeah, seeing a gritty anime could maybe breathe some new life into this uh, into this honestly dying franchise. Actually, probably at this point dead franchise because none of these movies are making money anymore. So. Yeah, I guess I can see maybe there will be another Terminator movie in about 10 years or so. That's usually what ends up happening with every, at least for the last three times. So I guess we'll see. Yeah, and it's going to not be a sequel to this. Someone will reboot it once again with a, quote, fresh take. Yeah. Or what if what if we got a sequel to, like, Salvation and Christian Bale came back? That'd be well, interesting. That would be so fascinating. Or we got a sequel to Genesis because... You can't say it's never been done because Dark Fate is technically a sequel to Judgment Day. That's fair. That's fair. You could do that and have two different timelines. That's true. And according to James Cameron, all of these films, like Terminator 3 or Dark Fate doesn't override all the other films. He says they all happen, but just within different timelines. Okay. Because of how time travel has like fractured time displacement or whatever. Gotcha. But Terminator, I do have two surprises. Terminator isn't quite done yet here on the podcast. I have been diligently watching Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. So once I am done with that TV show, I'm going to release just a small special podcast. It won't come out on the regular Mondays. It'll probably come out on a Wednesday or a Friday. And that'll just be a small review of me giving my thoughts as to what I liked about the series, what I didn't like and how it fits into the overall Terminator lore. Because according to IMDb, users have given it an average rating of 7.7. And Which is pretty high. It's very high, and um, no other film can even come near those numbers, <laughs> save for the original two films. So That's that right. should tell you uh, fans really highly regard the TV show. Just quick thoughts. I'm liking it quite a bit right now. Um, season two is up the ante. I'm excited to see where they go with it. I have also been keeping a Terminator timeline on my phone in my notes. So I'm going to, this is silver screen guide. After all, I had to watch all of the films first before I could give you a guide to the timeline of the film. So I'm going to create a fun infographic and provide some voice narration over that. So we can walk through the Terminator timeline together and see if we can decipher it. So those will be coming to the podcast uh, pretty soon. Just two specials within this retrospective movie review series. So it's not quite done yet. Well, listeners, Terminator movie reviews may be over with for now, but our movie review series is really just getting started for this year. We have a ton of great ones lined up and leading to a weekend of release movie reviews that are coming out this year, big ones as well. So our next movie review series we're starting is all of the Christopher Nolan films. Started with his very first film made a long time ago that you actually may never have heard of. It's called Following, and that is leading up to the July 17th release of Tenant. And we will also be breaking those reviews into sections, and in between we will have other reviews such as Candyman, leading up to Jordan Peele's spiritual sequel this June. So we will have the full schedule uh, released here very soon if... I mean, by the time this recording goes live, the schedule may already be up. Um, 
for you to give a full look at it, but we did want to make sure that we didn't leave you in the dark as to what was coming next week. So I got to say, I am very excited to explore Christopher Nolan's early works. I'm familiar with his newer stuff like Batman, but I'm not too sure about his earlier films. I think I've seen every single Nolan film. Actually, within the last few years, I believe I finished it up because I know I've seen Following twice. Oh, wow. I see Memento once and I really want to see it again. I've seen Insomnia once. And those are like the three that people are don't really hear about the most. Usually it's from Batman Begins and onward, everyone's seen. So I'm ready to see what you think about all of these movies, as a, especially as a whole, because Christopher Nolan's a huge name in Hollywood right now. So I'm, I'm yeah. curious to see not only what my thoughts are going back, but also what your thoughts are seeing these movies for the first time. I'm really excited to see where he came from with following, which I, I believe might be a student film or from his very uh, early career. His very early career. Uh, student film, maybe, maybe. Well, that's why we're reviewing the movie is to find out everything about it and discuss it with you listeners. So we're both very excited to come to those movies. And I'm also excited to see where he's like where he's come from and now where he's at, because um, supposedly the budget for Tenant is like two hundred fifty million dollars. So just just some ultra massive quarter of a billion dollars. It's it's huge. It's described as an epic event. And he's become a very epic filmmaker in many ways with uh, you and I saw Inception together That's right. in the theaters. And he redefined what it meant to make a superhero film. He's prolific. We're very excited with that as well. We also are coming up with one of i would say one of no one's great contemporaries alan can we reveal who the other big director is we're doing towards the latter half of the year at the end might as well let's do it we're also going to review all of denis villeneuve's films if you're saying who is that <laughs> well we've actually reviewed a couple of his yeah we've already reviewed he directed Jake Gyllenhaal and Hugh Jackman in Prisoners, mm -hmm. and he also directed Harrison Ford and Ryan Gosling in Blade Runner 2049. That's Those right. reviews are up now, so if you want to get a head start and want to get our thoughts on what we think of his films, um, that will be leading up to his release of Frank Herbert's Dune, which I'm, I'm actually stupid excited for, <laughs> because his last film was 2049, which was... I would say a masterpiece and I have just the highest of expectations. So I have nowhere to go, but to be crushed if this movie doesn't live <laughs> up to uh, my nine to 10 uh, range. Yes. Yes. Now I believe I've seen almost all, all except for his very first two, which is Maelstrom and like the 32nd of August on earth. Uh, one was in 2000. The other one was in around that same time. They were really close together. Uh, but I've, I've seen everything else since then. Uh, Corbin, I don't think, I know you haven't seen everything, but we've seen pretty close to, well, yeah, we've seen, we've seen pretty much uh, everything since what it would have been Prisoners, I think. Anyway, yeah. I, I, anyway, actually, I think that one was earlier. 
Yeah, I know I showed you Enemy. I was very excited to show you that movie. I'm very excited to review Enemy as well. And I got to say, I'm excited to go back and listen to our review of Prisoners because we did that like three or four years ago. Yeah, and I think that one still is considered our longest review, like three hours long. (laughs) Something stupid. It's something unwieldy that would take you days to get through. (laughs) Well, Alan... Thanks for joining me along this often crazy Terminator ride. Sure thing. All right, listeners, I'm curious to know what you think of Dark Fate, because clearly there's a very mixed reaction out there in the wild amongst film fans, and it didn't do well at the box office. So was it one of those films that was underrated? Like, in my opinion, John Carter, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. And sadly, it didn't do Good enough for Disney. I guess half a billion dollars isn't good enough. Make a sequel, <laughs> whatever. So we're never going to get a John Carter sequel. So that's my question. Do you think we're going to get a sequel to Dark Fate? Or do you think that the franchise should just be left alone? It's been 35 years, six films later. Most of them people hate. Some of them people regard as the greatest films of all time. This series has just been all over the map so we really want to know what your thoughts are on this film and also one last question does linda lindell hamilton sarah connor and arnold schwarzenegger's t800 are they given proper closure finally in this series after almost four decades so i'm very excited to see what you think about this listeners excited to read your comments keep the comments coming we love talking about movies and we love talking about them with you we will see you next week listeners with following hey listeners it's corbin don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our youtube facebook and twitter page and of course our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, google or stitcher or your favorite podcast service and while you're at it please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast we love talking about movies and we love talking about them with you so don't forget to share with your friends and family and we'll see you next week listeners The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. And of course, knowing us, there may be some beep. Maybe the. <laughs> I screwed it up. <laughs> Crap.
too late in the day. It's so late at night. <laughs> it's so late. I have run off so little sleep. Forget it. I'm going to reread it. Mm. Well, Alan, have you been uh, watching The Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance? I have not, but I need to. And I know in the original, that is a, a meme, I guess you could say. So you you sounded just like Chamberlain. You sounded just like Chamberlain <laughs> from there. I'm like, what? 